to another Cameo episode. These very short episodes will be slotted in between the other ones and will cover people who made a fleeting yet tantalizing appearance in other episodes. We don't always have a lot of information about them, so they can't have a full episode of their own, but they are too interesting to abandon completely, and they fill in the gaps and enable us to create as full a picture of the era as we can. And today, I'm excited for this one. It's Lady Catherine Gordon. Yes, Perkin Warbeck's poor wife. Yeah, having said that I could find nothing on her, we've now got quite a long episode for a cameo. Yay! <laughs> it's nearing an ordinary episode length. So, mm. yeah, brace yourself. Well, that's funny because we actually don't have a determination of how long our episodes should be for a full episode. No, I did look. I did actually read through some of our reviews, which is not something I normally do in case someone upsets me. <laughs> But yeah. That was no, very positive, but somebody did say it was too long for a podcast format. Oh, they should listen to Joe Rogan. He goes <laughs> yes. four or five yeah. hours for his podcast. Well, I said, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of, of uh, history podcasts that are half an hour long, so, you know, listen to them if you don't want it this yes. long. <laughs> we're different. Yes. We give you as much as possible. And even then, we're cutting out a whole lot. Oh, yes. <laughs> we could do several hours on each of these people, but there we go. Okay, well, if you're expecting a psychological study of Lady Catherine Gordon, no. Okay. We know a lot about her stuff, her properties. Okay. Her husband's, but not much about the character of Lady Gordon herself. Oh, so we're not going to find out if she and Henry VII did end up having an affectionate affair? I didn't say that. Oh. But no, we're not. Oh. <laughs> We can only try to ascertain her personality through her choice of husbands. Her choice? Well, yes. I mean, all right, Perkin, no. But unfortunately, her life will be pretty much described through her marriages rather okay. than anything she achieved herself. Yeah, she wasn't in a position to choose Perkin. No. He was foisted upon her, but she married three more times after that. And as Oh, wow, really? Yeah, as far as we can tell, she did choose them. Okay. Oh, that's so much better. In my head, I thought she was going to be with Perkin then forever after. Everybody would sort of, I don't know, ostracize her because she had married what turned out to be a commoner. Uh, No, I don't think she was ostracized in the slightest. But personally, nice. I would say out of the four, Perkin was by far the best. Oh! Mm. <laughs> yeah, when you look at the the men she chooses... Well, she can't really be in a shrinking violet going for the men she chooses. Trying to trying to make a guess at what she's like. She's not. She likes them rough. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, she was born around 1470. Her father was the Earl of Huntley, and Huntley was known as the gateway to the Highlands. I don't know Ooh. if that's just by the tourist port or something. <laughs> <laughs> Huntley Castle had been given to the family by Robert the Bruce. Wow. Yeah, famous name. The famous name in Scotland. Yeah, the. the. <laughs> Her father feuded with another landowner, the Earl of Ross. And apparently this was really nasty, involving raiding and slaughtering. Ooh. Yeah, it wasn't just through, through the courts. And it the was... king didn't step in? Well, luckily for Gordon, he had the king on his side. And Ross ended up on a charge of treason. Oh, okay, good. Well, unless both of them are doing the raiding and killing. Oh, I think so. That's the impression oh. I got, yeah. I think there was a lot of, well, I was going to say give and take. No give and take. That's the problem. Mm. Uh, Ross then had to petition for a pardon. 
However, everything then went pear-shaped for James III, which if you listen to Rex Factor, you can hear all about it. And Gordon, yes. uh, the dad, abandoned the king, remaining neutral, although his son, Alexander Gordon, uh, Catherine's brother, stuck with James III. So I thought I felt there was a bit of a standing manoeuvre going yes. on. When the king was killed fleeing the battle, and that was when his son had risen up against him, Alexander Gordon would not accept the new king, James IV. And he wrote to Henry VII asking for his aid to oust the young James. But Henry was busy with Brittany and couldn't spare the time or the troops. Right. That's our Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Anne of Brittany released, well, at the time of this recording. Tudoriferous Patreon. The bubbles go up your nose. Well, Catherine's father and brother were forced reluctantly to reconcile themselves to James IV. But it did occur to me, could James IV have given Catherine to Perkin in marriage as punishment for her family's initial betrayal? Oh. Why are you punishing the woman? Well, it was just a thought. It was just clear. If the Gordons were not on his side, you'd think he wouldn't be very favourably disposed towards them. And yet he gave True. Catherine Gordon to seemingly his friend Perkin. Yes, because they, they did gamble and hunt and spend hmm. a lot of time together. So they were friends. And maybe what? he was very fond of Catherine and thought, ah, these two are a match made in heaven. Yes. Or not. I don't know. It's just, a, it's just something that occurred to me that he probably hmm. wasn't that keen on Alexander and, and the dad. But anyway, we shall never know. The first tangible evidence we get that Catherine Gordon existed is her mention in the marriage contract of her sister Margaret to the Earl of Bothwell. And that's a name that comes quite famous later on, doesn't it? Mary, Queen of Scots marries one. Yes, it does. The reason that Catherine is mentioned in her sister's marriage contract was that Bothwell was given the choice. <gasps> Margaret or Catherine. Oh, geez. And I'm not quite sure whether the contract just said delete where necessary. Oh, goodness. <laughs> But yeah, slightly humiliating for Catherine, <laughs> you would have thought. Yeah. Mary stroke, Catherine, cross yeah. one out. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> A bit awkward in family get-togethers as well. <sighs> anyway, marriage number one, Perkin Warbeck or Richard Duke of York. But we won't get back I'm into that I'm assuming that they're going with the Richard Duke of York. Yes, she becomes Which the Duchess of York. Which wouldn't that immediately annul their marriage? Did we already say this before? What if she's she gets married? Married under an inf a false name. She never tries to dissolve the marriage, and Henry doesn't seem to get her to do it. So maybe it wasn't it didn't Weird. need dissolving because it was already null and void. Ah, I don't. Okay, know. that makes sense. Mm. Does she does she marry before he's dead? No. Okay. No. Then that didn't answer that. Yeah. Either. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, would we have heard of Catherine if, you, if she had married the Earl of Bothwell? Probably not. Probably not. No. Actually, on her Wikipedia page, it just says Catherine Gordon, spouse, Perkin Warbeck. Well, she had four. So it's, uh, it's Perkin that makes her fame. Come on, Wikipedia. This is why we don't rely on you. No. <laughs> uh, we now leap to 1495 and a young, handsome man... Possibly with one dull eye. Well, actually, two eyes, but possibly one dull one. He turns up on the shores of Scotland. 
The king arranged that Catherine and Perkins should be married, and we have absolutely no idea what Catherine thought of this. But Perkin was very happy. Oh, yes, he's just married into the nobility. Well, she was said to be very beautiful. And although that's a trope, because all women are very beautiful. Oh, yes. It does seem to have been true in her case. Perkin called her, quote, the brightest ornament of Scotland, unquote. Aw. Hmm. He does seem to be quite smitten with her. Okay. There's a letter from him to Catherine in the Spanish archives. I'm not quite sure how it ended up there. In which he says, quote, whether waking or sleeping, I cannot find rest or happiness except in your affection. All my hopes rest in you and in you alone, unquote. Aww. Hmm. Well, it sounds lovely, but apparently it's thought by some to be a sort of love letter template. I think historians oh. read the same blurb Aww. several times over in various people. So you just fill in the name on the, on the dotted line, I think. That's not cool. Hmm. James paid for the wedding, £253.7 shillings and tenpence. Wow. Mm, it's got something about how much my wedding cost. <laughs> <laughs> how much did mine cost? Yeah, maybe $200, $100 for the marriage certificate and then the person coming. Mm. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> COVID. Did it during COVID? Yeah, well, ours was the registry office and food at the pub for Rob and me and the kids. <laughs> We got married in my living room with a justice of the peace and then went to the pub. (laughs) (laughs) Much nicer. Oh, so nice. No pressure. (laughs) Anyway, yes, I mind our weddings. Her wedding, there's no extant documentary records of the ceremony. It said that the king was there, but it also said it took place in Huntley Castle. And a look at the king's itinerary shows that one of those statements must be wrong. (laughs) Logic puzzle. Yes. It's not known where Catherine was while Perkin and James conducted their ill-fated attack on England, probably in Falklands, since that seems to have been their main family home. And that's not the Falklands, because that would be (laughs) crazy. Falkland in Scotland. (laughs) By the 6th of July, 19... No, by the 6th of July, 1497, James was beginning to find Perkin a little bit of a liability. Yes, many people were telling him to get rid of it. Yes. Get rid of him. Get rid of it, yes. <laughs> when he got rid of it, he put it and the wife on the cuckoo and they sailed for Ireland. Or more likely, they sailed for England, but stopped over at Ireland. James paid for everything, including the provisioning of the boat, and they don't appear to have roughed it. They, um, oh. They're quite, quite nicely provisioned. Okay. And a cloak for Catherine. So, yes, he obviously did... Like Perkin, he could have done anything at that point, thrown him in the sea for all he cared, but yeah. he didn't. Mm. Yeah, he just sent him away with dinner and cloak. Yes. <laughs> and we don't know why they went to Ireland, but we know for definite that they did, since the mayor of Waterford alerted Henry VII that Perkin was there, and Henry offered a thousand marks for his capture. When things got too hot in Ireland, Perkin and Catherine went on to Cornwall, but again, we don't know what she did while Perkin hid in the barrel. Where they should just stood there tutting. <laughs> she was at the front of the bow, acting like that front piece. What is that called? Oh, um, figurehead. Figurehead, yes. Or maybe they had his on her barrels, so they had a little barrel each. <laughs> Hers was pink. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Floral. <laughs> they landed just north of Land's End on the 7th of September, 1496, a couple of months after the Cornish defeat at the Battle of Blackheath. 
And it seems that Warbeck arranged for Catherine to stay at St Michael's Mount in Cornwall to be away from any danger. Warbeck, as we know, was captured at Beaudy Castle and taken to Taunton. And Catherine must have heard what had happened because she moved into sanctuary in St St. Burians. Burians? Burians? Burians. Either way sounds very Cornish, Burians. (laughs) Near Penzance. (laughs) Giles, Lord Dobney and the Earl of Devon were sent to Cornwall to pick her up. You know, if we took the Giles Lord Dobney, all the mentions from everywhere, we'd probably know his exact itinerary through his entire life. He shows up in every single episode. And yet it's very difficult to find information about him, yeah. Yes. Hmm. I think we might squeeze our cameo out of him, but I don't think we're going to squeeze a whole episode. (laughs) It'll be a -a whack-a-mole episode. (laughs) (laughs) Perkin was seen as a low-born fraud, but that didn't change the fact that Catherine was well-born. So the choice of these high-up officials to escort her back reflected that. It right. reminded me of uh, Philip and uh, one of Phyllis. <laughs> <laughs> was he wearing a gold cloak? Perkin? Well, yes, he was. Came. Yes, yeah. he was wearing cloth of gold, wasn't he? Yes, mm. they probably took it off of him. Put her <laughs> here. You yes. get the cloth of gold cloak. Yes. He gets to walk behind the mule. <laughs> mm. In a letter, Dobney reported, "Quote." And we talked in such a way to her that she was content to renounce the privileges of sanctuary and surrender herself to the king's grace. And so, at her own desire, she has come to this town in my company and in security, thank God, before being taken to the king, unquote. And the king treated her well, too, so oh, yeah. they must have been honest with her. Yeah, I yeah. Hope. Well, the king sent her money for her diet. He also sent her, if we remember, he also sent her... Feminine hygiene products. Yes. Which, which is, is quite thoughtful. And it's quite an interesting thing to find in the records. That's a hush, hush, mm. don't say anything yeah. subject. Especially for a king but, to say, oh, and don't forget that she might need yes. them. <laughs> but diet can mean multiple things. Are we talking about her food or are we talking about a meeting of a counsellor? No, I think the food. food. Okay. It took 10 days for Catherine to get to Exeter. So she was obviously in no hurry. But that might be because the Earl of Devon had been told to impound the ships that brought him to Cornwall, so that might have slowed them down a bit. Mm-hmm. Or gentle ladies were known to have travelled slower than their husbands because they were more delicate, so they needed more rest. Mm. So either or, it could show that they had to take the time to deal with the ship, or it could show that they were actually treating her like a noble woman and doing the journey in short stints. Yeah, well, by the sound of it, they were. Treating, mm-hmm. treating her well, I mean. Henry met her in Exeter, where, according to Virgil, quote, when the king saw the woman's beauty, he promptly judged her worthy to be among the captive hostages of a general rather than a common soldier. And accordingly, he sent her forthwith to his queen in London, accompanied yes. by an honourable retinue of ladies, unquote. Oh, lovely. See, that's good. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit, a bit like that awful song. Um, um, There's lots of them. Yes. <laughs> Uh, the one about um, why, why did I light of someone as beautiful as you? Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, it's quite an old one, but it always made me cringe as if it's perfectly acceptable to, to lie to people who aren't beautiful. <laughs> gotcha. So he looked at her, thought, oh, like you, and yeah. treated her well. I mean, we know that he doesn't like ugly people or ugly women anyway, does he? No, and, but it's the same now. Even now, if mm. you're more attractive and taller for men, you will make more money and be more successful. It's just a human 
Mm. I just, it's a hateful human consistent thing. Oh, you can look at something that's very, very obvious. Footmen. The taller the footmen, the more they made. All right. Yes. You got bonuses for being over six feet. I suppose it looked as if you could afford to feed them well. Oh, I don't know why. Ah. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, Gainsford, another historian, went on to say, quote, Nor was the Emperor Aurelius more proud of Zenobia, unquote. Because he took the, ooh, Queen of Syria, I, I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> she was an amazing queen. Yes, I remember. I just don't remember where she's from. A canary in a gilded cage was one historian mentioned of her. Mm. She was kept for the rest of her life in Rome, but it was in this beautiful Mm -hmm. villa and she was given all honors. But I can't remember what country she was from. Why don't we just look it up? We do have (laughs) Zenobia, queen of where? Syria, you're right. Ah, Perfect. Oh, I do have a memory. (laughs) (laughs) I apparently don't. (laughs) (laughs) Bernard Andre then related the scene where Catherine berated her husband in front of Henry. But, you know, how much credence we can give to that, I don't know. He did like to make things up. And if it made Henry look good, all the better. Yes. Henry was keen to know whether Catherine was pregnant, which implies that despite speculation in in Perkins' episode, there were no other children. Right. Otherwise, well, there could have been girls. Oh, that's true. Well, the Venetian ambassador said that Perkins had left his wife and children in Cornwall. Yeah. But if there were children, we don't hear anything more about them. So whether... Would they have mentioned girls? We'd barely get mention of Lady Catherine Gordon and she was (laughs) rather pivotal. Well, some people have said maybe Henry had them sent away to be brought up somewhere else, which happened a lot, as we know. But if it was a boy, he Mm. wouldn't have been able to let him go. No, there might be a bit of a... But that would have had to have been mentioned somewhere, Mm. I would think. Yeah. Catherine arrived at court in Sheen on the 21st of October and Henry and Perkin arrived soon after. Makes it sound as if they sort of came arm in arm, but I don't yes. think they did. It seems like the two met and possibly spent Christmas together, or at least in the same building. Uh, unfortunately, that, that building caught fire over Christmas. Right. But luckily, oh. it meant that Henry could rebuild it, which he liked. Yes. But he was lamenting all of his beautiful objects that got destroyed in the fire. Yeah. We don't know what Catherine thought of Perkin by this time, but we know that he was still in love with her. The poet, John Skelton, who was in our box somewhere, isn't he? We haven't seen him yet. Yes. Said, quote, Lord, how Perkin is proud of his peahen, unquote. Of course you would be. It's nice, though, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Doesn't stay nice, though, does it, as we know? <laughs> Poor Perkin. <laughs> Catherine settled into life in the Queen's court, and she seems to have become particularly friendly with Cecily, the Queen's sister. Oh, okay. Cecily left clothes to Catherine's stepdaughter in her will. Oh. And Catherine became part of the Queen's inner circle. And that may seem odd, since she is the wife of a traitor. But she wasn't, a, she wasn't alone, because also there was Lady Margaret Fitzwalter, whose, whose husband had been beheaded because of his links to Perkin and William Stanley. Right. He's he's the one in the in East Anglia. So in this case, unlike other monarchs, they're not rejecting the wife because the husband was acting badly. 
which is nice. Yeah, I wondered if there was an understanding among women that since they didn't have much of a say as to who they married, that yeah, they couldn't be true. They couldn't be blamed for their husband's misdemeanors. True. Hmm. And Catherine is. That would be very, very difficult for diplomacy if you're taking a noble woman of Scotland and putting her in prison. Yeah. It was a lot easier so, just not to, I think, really, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. 1498, Perkin jumped out of the window. But he was... Right. <laughs> Again. <laughs> he was quickly recaptured. Following this, any household payments that Catherine had been receiving stopped. And she had to cut back on her servants. Oh. Hmm. So she is being punished. They started up again, but yes, it does seem like it. She's being punished for him, you know, absconding. Hmm. Maybe they thought she had something to do with it. Not sure. It seems unlikely that Catherine was able to visit Perkin in the Tower, which, if de Pebbler's description of him not looking long for this world is true, is probably just as well. It's been badly beaten up. You could apparently you couldn't even yes. recognise him from his beaten up face. After his execution, Catherine spent the next decade in the Queen's Court. Eighth of May, fifteen hundred, Catherine accompanied Henry the Seventh and Queen Elizabeth to Calais to meet Archduke Philip the Fair. Oh, mm. did she meet Philip? I wonder. And did Philip try to have an affair with her? <laughs> Yeah, well, she's not one of his his ladies he kept on the boat. <laughs> well, there were 50 ladies that went with the Queen, but she was said to be fifth in the Queen's retinue. So she's pretty oh, high, up. high up. Mm. I don't know how they ranked them, but... Oh, usually by their actual birth. Yeah. Like well, she's rank. an earl's, earl's daughter. Which is high. And a duke's wife. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I don't think they'd have gone with that one. Well, she would have been behind the Queen's sisters. Everybody would have been behind the Queen's sisters and Henry's mother. True. When she had a lot of sisters. Yes. And she was still fifth. Hmm? Yeah. Anyway, they met a league outside Calais, because Philip was hardly going to come into Calais itself, in St. Peter's Church. We've heard about this meeting in passing, but we've never actually looked at it. It's quite weird. Because apparently there was nowhere suitable for royalty to stay. Which makes me wonder, why didn't they go somewhere else? Yes, <laughs> why'd you choose there? I don't know, but they, yeah, they stayed in the church and they divided up the space with bits of cloth. <laughs> <laughs> it just reminded me of when you've got a disaster and everyone's told to go to the village <gasps> yes, hall. and you separate. that's exactly what I'm thinking of. <laughs> you get a bit of privacy with putting up a blanket or something. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I just imagine them all there with their Kindles and their cats in the cat carrier <laughs> and <laughs> making the best of it. Um... But yeah, they tried to make it as nice as they could. They strewed roses and lavender on the floor. The king's room was the lady chapel when the queen was in the vestry. It sounds like a nursery rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it Eating does. bread and honey. Up in the belfry were the cellarer, the pantry staff and the confectioner. And they had a big feast, including seven horse loads of cherries and two hogsheads of hippocras. Wow. Well, this, this had very little to do with Catherine Gordon, but she was there. <laughs> nibbling on her cherries and knocking back the hippocrats. I thought you were going to say she ended up with like dysentery or something from all the cherries. <laughs> well, no, I not just dysentery, it... just yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. It just seemed such a weirdly temporary setup. I don't understand that. No, it just 
they just seem to be roughing it for no apparent reason. Twenty hmm. fourth January fifteen oh two, the proxy marriage between Margaret Tudor and James the Fourth. Standing in for James was the Earl of Bothwell, the one who'd rejected Catherine in favour of her sister. Oh. And Catherine was at the ceremony. Glaring at him. <laughs> well, she probably, I don't know, she might have felt she'd done quite well out of it, really. Yeah, she's in the King's, well, Queen's Court. Mm. Hmm. As the only Scot in the retinue, she was given precedence. Oh. Mm. And that evening they had a supper and a banquet. I'm sorry. How do you fit that much food in you? I don't know. A supper would be more than enough. Once they started bringing out the banquet, you'd be thinking, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> More. Mm. Do we have to? Four days later, Bothwell went home. He'd been given a cupboard, quote, of great value, unquote. I like that. It was oh. sort of beautiful and useful. So, nice. Yes. When Prince Arthur died, Catherine Gordon received six yards of black velvet and a black bonnet. Because she was totally dependent on the king for that sort of thing. Yes. Catherine would have been with the Queen when she went on progress, and the Queen was, taking, was taken ill at Woodstock. And she recovered enough to go on to Wales and then gradually to return to Richmond. But it obviously took it out of her. And Catherine would have been with the Queen for her confinement, and so would also have been there when she died. Oh. And I'm sure Catherine would have been upset, not least because she'd just been supplied with brightly coloured cloth to make clothes now that the morning time for Arthur had just finished. And now she needs to go back in black. Back in black, yes. <laughs> I'm surprised Henry didn't try to marry her then. She's on hand. Well, it's, he's got the plan, though. Oh, yeah. He's got he's got to take in Spain, Austria, and France, and Scotland. Mm -hmm. He can't go mm -hmm. marrying... Oh, I don't know, it would be Scotland. Mm. It would be Scotland. But then he's already got Margaret and James set up, so... Yes, nah. true. But there was rumours that people did think, because he kept her so close, people did actually oh. think that they had been secretly married. Oh. But I doubt that they had. <laughs> I think we'd know by now. <laughs> <laughs> then Catherine pretty much disappears from the records for a while, and we know she's still around from the list of expenses. It's assumed she's with Margaret Tudor as she prepared to go to Scotland. Because Catherine had known James IV, so hopefully she was able to put a good spin on the prospective marriage. Right. For the 14-year-old Margaret. Mm. And didn't mention his uh, penchant for amateur, amateur dentistry. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Just don't open your mouth. You'll yes. be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Comes back down again with various teeth missing. <laughs> or all of them. She's just gummy. Well, in fact, Catherine's sister Margaret and the Earl of Bothwell were godparents for James and Margaret's son James. So all one big happy family. Nice. It has been suggested that Catherine was a prisoner in England and wasn't allowed to return to Scotland. And that could have been the case. But it's more mm. likely that while she was in England, she had the financial support of the king. Yeah, she'd be a pauper if she went back to yes, Scotland. Yes, her dad was dead. Her mum had remarried. Yeah, she'd be the poor relation. Yes. So you might as well stay. Yeah. In 1509, Catherine's official position was lady-in-waiting to Catherine of Aragon. Ooh. Well, she doesn't seem to have spent much time with her, and I presumed it was because Catherine had her Spanish ladies that she preferred. Right. And we're not sure where she was, 
but given the friendship with Queen Elizabeth's sister Cecily, it's possible that she might have nursed her through her final illness and looked after her children after Cecily died. But there's no right. evidence for this. It seems to be based on the premise that she has to be somewhere. So <laughs> When does she marry? She's in her 40s now. Uh, well, she fits a f quite a few in. Yeah, don't worry. They're coming. Okay. <laughs> I mean, for the time, she's well past childbearing, so she can't hope to have any children. She doesn't have any children, no. Yeah. But she was also in Henry's court as he faced his final illness, judging by the lists of expenses which mention her. Aww. And I don't know if he did this for everyone or whether she was specifically picked out, but just before he died, Henry granted Catherine four manors in Berkshire, which gave her an oh. annual income of £166. Good, because not Henry VIII probably wouldn't have taken care of her. No, no. She then disappears from the records for three years. So she's she's not appearing in the expenses once it's Henry VIII. Uh, yeah, when Catherine of Aragon married Henry, the, the Henry VIII. Henry VIII. Yeah, Henry VIII. It didn't sound right for a second. <laughs> <laughs> married Henry VIII. Her Different Catherine. <laughs> Her entourage grew from 44 people to 160, but Catherine Gordon wasn't one of them. Maybe she was spending time at one of her new manors in Berkshire. Fifield okay. was her favourite, and that had been one of John de la Pole, Earl of Lincoln's properties before his downfall. Ah. Mm. All right, here we go. Marriage number two. Sir James Strangeways. And I don't know if he's linked with Strangeways Prison in Manchester, but okay. it's a good name. In 1511 or 12, Catherine married Sir James Strangeways. He was gentleman usher to Henry VIII, and this meant okay. being very close to the king. Yes. His job was to ensure the smooth running of the king's chambers and had to seat everyone at table according to their rank, which, as we know, is a political minefield. Yes. He, along with three other ushers, was deputy to the chamberlain. If the king went on progress, it was up to the ushers to go ahead and make sure that everything was arranged. And he also had to make sure that the young pages didn't wipe their hands on the wall hangings. Oh, jeez. And that visitors <laughs> didn't lean on the king's bed. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> ah, great manners. Mm. Well, this marriage brought her into family ties with Humphrey Stafford, Lord Dobney again, and the Arundels of Cornwall, all of whom we've come across in various ways. Mm -hmm. We know that Strangeways was outlawed for debt. In 1512, which sounds very saga thing, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And maybe that's why he married Catherine, since, obviously, thanks to Henry VII, she wasn't short of a bob or two. Very true. Mm. Married for money. Oh, poor woman. Not necessarily, though. Henry VIII lent him £66, 13 shillings and fourpence, but he seems to have been really bad with money. <laughs> <laughs> In October 1511, Henry VIII was preparing to fight in France. And we now know that this was all set up by his scheming father-in-law, Ferdinand. But Henry, bless him, thought he was fighting to get his territory back that was rightfully England's. James Strangeways was in that expedition that was led by Thomas Gray, uh, Marquis of Dorset, that we heard about in Ferdinand's episode, when Gray wouldn't agree with any of the suggestions that Ferdinand made. And then the yep. English went home in disgrace. <laughs> yes. So uh, Strangeways was one of the uh, men coming home in disgrace. <laughs> Good job. That's the man you married. When he got back, he and Catherine were embroiled in a property problem. In September 1512, Catherine had to give up all her properties in Berkshire 
because, what? quote, the king is informed that it's not valid in law, unquote. Really? Well, no one's quite sure what the problem was, except that it was something to do with it having been forfeited by John de la Pole. And that's all I know. So? Yeah. Well, that's some. Yeah, that's all that I know. Okay. She did get okay. the lands back, though, luckily, and an extra manor in Oxfordshire. Sorry for your trouble. Yes. Have another manor. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not just her now. It's in hers and her husband's name. Of course. And Strangeways became JP for Berkshire. In late 1515 and early 1516, Strangeways became ill and died. And he must have known the illness would be fatal because he made his will soon before. Catherine got the bulk of Strangeways' bequest, although 20 years later, she was still trying to pay his debts off. Ah. Oh. And she left a request in her own will that her husband of that time should carry on paying the debts. Hmm. But on the plus side, she received two more manners from the king. So marriage number three, Matthew Craddock. In 1517, Catherine married Matthew Craddock, who was a Welshman, and on the 24th of July, she obtained a licence to live in Wales. So when she had regained her lands in Berkshire, she had had to sign a document saying she wouldn't go to Scotland or any other foreign lands without permission. And foreign lands, it seems, must have included Wales, because she had to get special permission. <laughs> I was just about to say, but... Well, um. Craddock, too, was a, a royal servant. He worked as a deputy steward for William Herbert, Earl of Pembroke, for a while, and had then become a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> she really does pick them she well. She awful men. <laughs> what the heck? He attacked a ship that was lying off Ilfracombe in Devon, and it had come from somewhere calling itself Luxbum, in the records. That's apparently in <laughs> Portugal. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. It sounds like a luxury blue paper, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> and it was on its way to Bridgewater, which is just up the road from here. Hmm. The boats had been hired by merchants of Bridgewater from two Bretons called Matthew and Fleming. And they complained that their cargo had been stolen. Oh. Craddock added insult to injury by ransoming Matthew and Fleming. And the only way they could pay their ransom was to hand over their ship to the merchants of Bridgewater. <laughs> <laughs> so they've lost their cargo and their ship. And the ships. Yeah. For no fault of their Just own. Just because. Oh. Mm. Craddock went on to do at least two other acts of piracy. And those are the ones we know about. There may well have been others. But as far as we know, he was never prosecuted. So we know he's a pirate, but he never got in trouble for it? No. How, how does that work? Um, well, I suppose we know about it from the record complaints from Matthew and Fleming. Hmm. I mean, they're foreign. Craddock, right. Craddock is in his own country. Right. Well, she's Welsh. Right. but He went on to more legitimate seamanship and was given several important posts in Wales. And all this was before he married Catherine Gordon. When Catherine had received permission to travel, she moved in with her husband in Swansea the only town in Britain, as far as I know, to be named after Sven Vorkbeard. Ah, yes. South Wales was pretty lawless at the time, so Craddock was kept busy attending court in his professional capacity. Because, although it might seem obvious to us that you don't put a pirate in charge of law and order, yeah. it seems to take longer to dawn on them. Really? Well, I don't know. So he's 
he's a bad choice and he acted badly on top of that. I don't understand why you would put him. John Tavere was a pirate. Yes, I was about to say. <laughs> We've come into others. Henry Bodrigan was a pirate. <laughs> yes. And they all held proper offices as well, yeah. Yeah. Weird. Maybe piracy, and we see piracy as being fairly shocking now. But that's... Yes, we do. Maybe, well, it continues on. You got Francis Drake later. Hmm? Yeah. yeah. Sir Walter Riley. Is it that the law doesn't apply if it takes place on the water, I wonder? Possibly. Or it doesn't apply if the person that you're targeting is not English. Hmm. Well, I have to look into piracy. Add that to the list. (laughs) (laughs) Craddock was accused of several things in complaints sent to Thomas Woolsey. Among them were false imprisonment, corruption, extortion and exploitation. Wow. And Craddock seems to have come from an extremely violent family. There was a feud between Craddock's grandson and another family member, which ended up in court where the court heard of bloodletting, rape and murder. Oh, so Catherine fit right in. <laughs> well, the Craddock's mother-in-law by previous marriage had been murdered. Oh, jeez. Yeah, well, I don't know. You begin to wonder what sort of family Catherine has got herself into. It's the same as her family, though, because her yeah. father... And yeah, that's <laughs> true. She's probably home from home, yeah. Yes. However, in the summer of 1531, Craddock died, and his tomb had both him and Catherine recumbent on the top. Oh, well, unfortunately, this tomb was damaged in World War II because Swansea was Ugh. pretty much reduced to rubble in 1941. There oh, were three, wow. three nights of bombing by the Luftwaffe. Oh. In his will, Craddock made sure that Catherine had all the properties and jewels that were hers when they got married, as well as the bulk of his possessions. And I'm not sure how many of those possessions were obtained through piracy and extortion. and Probably oh, all of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he also gave her several head of cattle, a couple of bulls and his best ambling horse. Oh. Although Craddock had arranged for Catherine to continue living in his house at Swansea, she quickly returned to England, living for some time in Bristol. And she reverted to her maiden name, maybe to put a bit of space between her and the Craddock family, I should think. (laughs) Some of them were contesting Craddock's will. Ah. And by the time Catherine returned to court, Anne Boleyn was on the scene. Ooh, she returns to court. She's important enough to return to court. Mm. Wow. Husband number four, Christopher Ashton. Christopher Ashton was a widower with two young children. Working through the key episodes of his life, it seems that they only add up if he was quite a bit younger than Catherine. So she's going for a younger man then? She's married a young man, it seems, yeah. So he went with her for her beauty or her money? I'm assuming the money. I don't think so. Oh. Hmm. I think this is a love match. Oh. Hmm. We don't know exactly when they were married. How much younger? I don't know. It's only trying to work out. We don't know his dates, so it's trying to work out what okay. he did. And fit- in my head, fitting... I'm like, he's he's thirty. She's in her sixties. Okay. Um, we do feel it must be a love match. She she was wealthy enough to live alone. Although she and Ashton were still battling the family of his previous husband and still paying (laughs) off the debts of the first one. (laughs) Oh, no. Wow. They even went to the court of the Star Chamber for settlement for this thing with the Craddock family. 
It does look like love because she called him, quote, my entirelyest beloved, unquote. Is that one of those form letters? I don't think so. Okay. And he's definitely a step up from a pirate. Yes. But. He, and a fake. <laughs> he was well known to be a man with a very violent temper. Ooh. Mm. The Lord Chamberlain described Ashton in a letter to Thomas Cromwell, quote, a man of marvellous, perverse and evil conditions. Many honest persons, both in town and country, stand in great dread of him, unquote. Oh. And he was writing specifically about a complaint brought by a William Hyde, quote, a good and honest gentleman who has been sore hurt and maimed upon <gasps> one of his arms by the servants of Christopher Ashton, unquote. Oh, my goodness. Ashton seems to have got away with this. Of course. But he was Justice of the Peace, so he'd, he'd have to stand in front of him himself, I suppose. Fortunately, we don't hear of Ashton being violent to Catherine, so maybe he was different at home, or maybe violence in the home was expected. <laughs> or maybe it was because they got to spend very little time together, since on October the 12th, 1537, the day Edward VI was born, Catherine drew up her will, and she died two days later. Oh. We don't know what of, but she must have been about 65. So not bad age for that time. No, not a bad age. Mm. And to keep somewhat status and money through all that when you're in a foreign country. Yeah. And you've made a series of really blunders with your husband's. <laughs> <laughs> Disastrous choices. <laughs> what were you thinking? Her will's interesting, since in it we can see what she thought of each of her husbands. Oh! Because for strange ways, she described herself as, quote, his sometime wife, unquote. Oh! It's a bit dismissive. Yes. Craddock was her, quote, dear and well-beloved husband, unquote. Okay. So that's a bit better. And Ashton, as we've seen, was her entirelyest beloved so, ah, oh, and no mention of Perkin. <laughs> I was going to say you might notice there's someone missing, <laughs> and there's no mention of children either. So, yeah, mm. her servants were left various things. One is left a gown, another an interest in the pro interest in a property near Cardiff, but most were left six shillings and eightpence. Mm. Her solicitor was given the white gelding that Ashton had given Catherine as a wedding present. So. Nice. Oh, I hope my solicitor's not expecting anything out of <laughs> <laughs> She was buried at Fifield in Berkshire. So the tomb back in Swansea with her lying next to Craddock, well, she was never in it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I was going to say, there's a picture of her tomb mm. that if it had been reduced to rubble, wouldn't be there. Well, they might have taken a photo of it before 1941, I suppose. It said it was damaged, not necessarily destroyed. Well, not very far from Swansea. Perhaps I should go and pay my respects. Yeah, apparently there's a plaque there showing her information. Hmm. That's nice, because when I went to Swansea, I asked, we stayed in a bed and breakfast, and I asked where the little writing hut for Dylan, where Dylan Thomas did his writing was, and the person in the bed and breakfast never heard of Dylan Thomas, and I thought, but this is Swansea. <laughs> you must have heard <laughs> Well, this is, it's in Fifield Church, Berkshire. Oh, uh, right. Berkshire. Written Berkshire. Spelt by... <laughs> Derby, Darby. <laughs> I'm never going to get these right. There are two places, two villages in Devon that are very close to each other, and they're both called Wolfardisworthy. 
except they're not. <laughs> it actually has it on the sign, Wool Fardisworthy, brackets, Woolsery. <laughs> brackets. Woolsery. So it actually tells you how to pronounce this place. And there's uh, th- That's th- nice. Bizarrely, there's exactly the same thing further up the road, which is very strange. Yeah, Catherine gave a penny to 500 of the poorest people in in Berkshire. Where? (laughs) (laughs) Quote, devote prayers, it may please God to mitigate my pains, that my soul may the sooner attain to the fruition of his Godhead, unquote. Well, although this is Catherine's episode, I'll just take a quick look at her husband, Christopher Ashton, and what he got up to after his wife's death, because it's quite interesting. Oh, in 1539, Ashton was one of the squires sent to welcome Anne of Cleves when she arrived in England. Another was William Hyde, and that's presumably the same William Hyde who had just been oh. <laughs> just maimed. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awkward. Mm. He married again and was involved in several more violent incidents. He was also accused of, of extortion and fraud, but he always got away with it. <sighs> However, things hotted up in Queen Mary's reign. There was the Wyatt Rebellion, and that was quickly quelled. And then in 1555, there was another rebellion, and one of its two leaders was Christopher Ashton, the other being a Dudley. Oh. And the plan was to oust Mary and put Elizabeth on the throne, whom Ashton described as, quote, a goodly liberal dame, unquote. The plan was that there should be a rebellion in the West Country, of course, where else? Yes. <laughs> Along with an invasion of the South Coast by English exiles in France. We've, we've heard all this before, haven't we? Yes, we have. <laughs> same old, same old. Repeat. <laughs> this plan was said to have had some big players behind it, including John de Vere, but obviously not the one we did, a later one, Lord Grey right. and William Courtney. Although the first two were never called to account and the third was pardoned. But someone grasped on them so early that the plan was never put into action. And we've a very detailed account of the plot that we will go into in Mary's season because Christopher Ashton will definitely get a cameo episode then. Ooh. It's quite a wait for Mary's season. But it's it's (laughs) such a weird setup. So, yeah, keep listening. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 3032. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, now, he'd moved to France, and when he heard that conspiracy had failed, he gave up the idea of rebellion, but remained actively against Mary, and who, okay. his goods were confiscated back in England. So Catherine's first husband had tried to topple Henry VII, and her fourth had <laughs> tried to bring down Mary. It's amazing. You live long enough to get to Mary. Yeah, I know. We've, we've really... It did say about um, Catherine's life spanning the Middle Ages to the early modern time. It really does seem wow. like... Yeah. So, yeah. So I hope you feel you've really got to know Catherine. Yeah. Her <laughs> likes, her dislikes, her personality, her inclination. <laughs> well, we've got her her likes of husbands. Yes. Not the best choices. No. All I can hope is that maybe they treated her or acted one way when they were around her to get her to marry them, mm. and then became their normal husbands. Because it's not like they. It's not like now where you have these lead-ups to being married they're usually arranged in a couple of weeks it's not years before you get married yes well unfortunately we don't have the information as to why she married them where she met them how long they courted if indeed they did court if that was even a thing yeah so terrible choices in husband i mean i think they were all done for extortion (laughs) 
what a fraud, <laughs> including Perkins, since he was... Maybe she helped. You never know. Maybe she was the brains behind it all. Yes, and that's why all of them did it. Yes, that's it. She's she's like yeah. a godmother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Well, that's the revisionist bit in this, this episode. <laughs> so, yeah, she turned out to be an interesting character, even though we don't know her character, but, yeah, terrible husband picker. Yeah. So I hope you enjoyed the episode about Catherine Gordon and her many yes. awful husbands. Yes. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.